good Wednesday morning, and I just hit the record button. John and I just finished recording two talks, two of the last talks, and I'm just going to banter back and forth, ask some questions. And if you're hearing this, we then deemed it valuable enough to post on the podcast. Question, when you think about, you called it a home group, what you and your wife were a part of when you were younger, how would you define a home group? Well, in our case, we, we all had young children. So you need support at that stage. We, we were all separate from our parents who were in other parts of Britain. None of them were local. So uh, it, it's a mutual support group. Um, you know, uh, at various times you, in a family, you're stretched. And the fact that you have friends that you can call is very important. And in that process, you grow uh, because you're serving one another. There's no selfishness in it. You, uh, nobody's trying to exploit anyone. Uh, and, of course, because you're Christian, and we had wise people there who knew that Christians needed to uh, read together and pray together, uh, and we need to... Uh, we did that in that, that context. And so people... We, we read the Scriptures together as a starting point, and then other people would bring in their own reading from other areas, and then we'd sometimes have to go looking, and so we then discovered good commentaries, like uh, if you don't have a a good series of Bible commentaries, the one that I would suggest to you is well worth starting with is The Bible Speaks for Today, published by InterVarsity Press. Um, the New Testament was edited by John Stott and the Old Testament by Alex Mocha. And what's beautiful about those commentaries, from my point of view, they're, they're not technical. They don't fuss about the technical difficulties that theologians fuss about. They can be read devotionally, and they help you to understand how, this, how the passage works, how it's structured, and they help you to see the connections with other parts of Scripture. They're wise. And I haven't read one that I didn't enjoy, and I've read a good number of them now. And literally, unlike other commentaries, you can sit down and read it like a book. So, uh, I had never been contaminated by television growing up. We never had one. Uh, I'd never been much contaminated by being driven away to holidays because we never had a car. I had a bicycle. We did have good holidays, but with Christian friends because working class people can't afford hotels. Um, but those people who my mother had befriended when she was in hospital with me and my sister, uh, they realized that I was a, a, a slightly different little kid, and they introduced me to books which were supposed to be way beyond my ability. My mother taught me to read when I was about four because they thought I'd got rheumatic fever, and I had to stay in bed for about six weeks before they decided it oh, a bit longer probably and during that time I learned to read uh, so from then on your light is ahead of everybody else if you start reading and then in, if in particular you have good books put in your direction not silly ones um, then you're home free so when we, we for instance when we came from Jamaica to Canada to a nice little loving church which was trying to get the kids to read more because they were all watching television too much. They had a reading competition every year, but they count, they stopped it the year after we arrived because my kids read an order of magnitude more books than they did. And uh, 
the ordinary North American kids were, you know, counting large space chapter books. Uh, they had to be that big, but, I mean, they took 10 minutes to read, whereas my kids were reading, you know, 300-page uh, novels. It was a no-brainer. And the, the moment you get to the point of reading freely and voraciously, which you can do at that age, I can remember reading my way through the whole of Sherlock Holmes during breaks at school in the school library because all the Sherlock Holmes books were there and got through them in about a term, you know. Um, not the greatest writer of all time, but light years ahead of what most kids are having today. So um, that's an incredible gift. And that's what we can do. Uh, reintroduce our children to the, the culture that we have. Now, the good news is that people like Jordan Peterson are awakening this. We just had him in Ottawa this week. And all the usual suspects tried to get him cancelled. But fortunately, they failed. And they gave him publicity, so he had to hire a hockey arena and it was, they, ha they had to charge $95 a ticket. And it was three quarters full. Of course, none of the antagonists turned up at all. They weren't, there was no interruptions. And one of my, two of my grandchildren were taken by a friend. You know, she wanted her grandson to go and two of mine made it a, a viable thing. She said, I want them to have some education. Uh, I haven't heard what he said that night, but it would be much the same as usual, I'm sure, in one way or another. Um, and he, millions follow him. That's what he told me years ago. He said, when I realized after a few weeks I was talking to more people online than I would ever teach in the university in a lifetime, I had to rethink. Well, the, the same is true of me. I mean, not on the same scale, but... Uh, Amongst the, the Christian medical community in North America, almost all of them will know my name. That's incredible. That would never have been possible in the past. Um, hopefully some content goes in. Well, I know it does because of the responses I get. So that's what we've got to put our effort into education. The things that we can do now, I mean, we can stop CRT and nonsense like that. Um, well, at the very least you can say demand that either they stop teaching it or they have themselves to face the critics of it uh, and the proponents and let them fight it out so the kids can see that there's no agreement here their teacher is not almighty they won't teach what they should do which is reading, writing, and arithmetic, to begin with at least, and some courtesy towards one another, uh, we should throw them out. Now, more and more people are doing it. I mean, in, in some countries, I mean, there have been Germans who've come to America claiming, ref cla claiming asylum because in Germany you're not allowed not to send your child to the public system. We've got a lot of work to do to preserve freedom. I'm going to zoom back in on home groups. Well, home groups are where this sort of thing as well as reading the Bible together, you're going to start saying, okay, what does this mean? What have we got to do? Well, really, for evangelicals for the past hundred years at least, we've been walking away from the public sphere. We've been living in our own little groups. Well, that's not acceptable. 
We have got to decide how we're going to engage. We've got to train ourselves and we've got to encourage one another and get people to go to school board meetings and all the rest and ask the questions. Why do you think they retracted and why do you think they stay there? Because they didn't, they were not sufficiently educated to deal with very clever people. So they they knew intuitively that they were being told things that were not true, but they, they weren't prepared to do the work to be able to answer back. Now, there's no excuse for that anymore because there's plenty of material out there. Um, and a home group, yeah, you read the scriptures and there should be some in the group saying that, how does this apply to CRT? And of course, uh, the moment you ask the question, within a week or two, you will have found at least three or four people who will take it apart for you. And then you can do it. And you start by gossiping it when you're with your friends uh, and you move on from there. I mean, the last trip I took to Mobile and back, I had at least eight serious conversations with the people I sat next to or stood next to in a queue for an hour waiting to get through American customs in uh, border regulations in uh, Toronto. Um, I didn't have to do anything. It, it was like picking ripe fruit. Yeah, the usual questions, you know, where are you going, where do you come from, what do you do? And then I say what I do, and I usually say, I talk about ethics, culture, faith, and public policy, and they say, what on earth? I said, well, I can explain if you're interested, and they are interested. And they go away at least, at the very least, realizing there are serious questions at stake and there are serious answers. It's not a pushover. The liberal elite have not got it all right. The World Economic Forum is a tyranny in the making, you know, and so on. We can see that. And, I mean, the stuff that's coming out in America about the way over the last... There's always been corruption in the American system, as in any system. But yours is more open to it than others, and many tyrannies must have happened in small towns all over the place because when you were being founded, there was no way central government could do it. But now nobody seems to be interested in history. The moment you ask them about it, I mean, no, you ask about slavery. Uh, the first question, my first question, if that comes up, I say, well, which country abolished slavery first and what was the date? And you put it into Wikipedia, you won't get the right answer. They're, they're suppressing it. You have to put in um, St. Anselm, uh, the London Conference, the year that he died. I think it was uh, 1103 or something like that, but the 12th century. And he persuaded the Conference of Bishops that it was not Christianly defensible to have slaves. And they all agreed. And so slavery became illegal in Britain in the 12th century. Didn't mean they didn't have slaves in Ireland. It only applied to England, so to speak. But that's where it started. They understood, guided by a wise and righteous holy man, they made the right choice. And, of course, all the elite could do is suppress it, sort of undermines them. And then the next question you ask them, where did the word slave come from? And, of course, it comes from Slav because all the early slaves were white and they were largely from small communities in uh, the Balkans who were not able to protect themselves from marauders. Uh, and the Danes 
stole the, the Celts and the Angles, and so nobody was going at, below the equator at that time. They thought there was fiery hell there. It was a long while before we got to that. So all the early slaves uh, in Europe were white, and there was slavery everywhere. Every every culturist practiced slavery, some to a very small degree, uh, some to a very big degree. The biggest slave uh, owners in the world at the moment claim to be Muslim, but that's beside the point. And there's certainly more slaves in Africa today than ever crossed the Atlantic. And the ones that did and survived, if you put them all together as a country, to be the richest black country in the world. Sort of undermines the crass, infantile approach that you get from most, I don't know what to call them, they're, they're not universities, they're not students at all because they don't study, they they have emotions, some of them not even two-year-old. See, once you read seriously, every serious book leads you to another serious book, or two or three or five or six. Once you start the habit, it's the world is your oyster. If you wanted, uh, my usual suggestion to start a reading group is to go to my website and pick out, there's, in the reading material, there's half a dozen papers from the journal First Things, which is a well-written journal. Um, just choose one of those. There'll be about 10 pages. And if you want to start a reading group in your church, read one of those. I suggest you start with Wojciechowski um, uh, on tolerance, but uh, um, read it yourself. Uh, it will challenge you. Then photocopy a paragraph and ask your pastor, can I put this into the church bulletin or on the church website or however you do it? With a little note at the bottom, if this interests you, come and talk to me. And you'll have a reading group. And it'll take you more than a year to be able to read the whole of an issue of First Things. But they will raise your standards. But there's stuff in it that you can read and understand immediately. There will be passages that immediately speak to you. Oh, you should say read from the back forwards. <laughs> You'll see why when you get there. Not the very back thing, but there's a bit called a section called while we're at it, which is all the nonsense is going on in our world. They're, they're bulleted. It's the only bulleted bit of the whole journal, and it's just to give you some sense of the nonsense that's going on in the world and why you should be laughing at it. Then there are short articles, and then long articles, and book reviews, and letters, and Reno's weekly editorial. And you can find which bits you like most. But the book reviews, uh, they're, they're, they're really good because you learn who's thinking about important things at the moment. And the reviewer is somebody who knows the subject. That's what you need. So, have a good week. Thank you guys all for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this. If you are enjoying it, think about sharing it with a friend or a colleague. And if you have a question for Dr. John, you can go do that and ask that at johnpatrick.ca forward slash ask. Thank you guys all again. We'll see you all next week.